0: Okay, Tom. Yeah, so uh, sometimes Kath and I go teaching together, and um, it, hasn't, it has been known that we've disagreed in front of whoever we're teaching or talking about. But when they find out we're married, they think, oh, that's all right then. <laughs> it's when they're not sure that we're actually related to each other, they, they get worried about us arguing. Anyway, okay, so this is week two of Leaving Babylon, and um, as Kath said, it's about leaving things we need to leave as a church. And obviously the church is made up of us all, of individuals. Last week was more about individual approach, this is about us corporately. I want to read the passages that got me into this in September, um, which I read the same morning, which is what first started me thinking about it all. The first was from Isaiah 48. Leave Babylon, flee from the Babylonians, announce this with shouts of joy and proclaim it. Send it out to the ends of the earth and say, the Lord has redeemed his servant Jacob, They did not thirst when he led them through the deserts. He made water flow for them from the rock. He split the rock and water gushed out. And then Revelation 18, there's a warning to escape Babylon's judgment. It says, then I heard another voice from heaven say, come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins, so that you will not receive any of her plagues, for her sins are piled up to heaven, and God has remembered her crimes." And as I read those two that morning, the sense for me was that actually we can and should leave Babylon. We are free to go because of what Jesus has done and flee the doomed city. And much has been written about the church in the West being in sense in exile, um, dominated by a foreign culture in a place we don't want to be, particularly the rural church, which is fading away quite quickly. And so what occurred to me was it's not just that we need to challenge the alien culture that we're in, but in some senses we need to leave it. We need to get up and change things. The definition of exile is this. When a person or persons are banished from their homeland, city, state or country, they're said to be sent into exile. And an exiled person or group are refused permission to re-enter and may be threatened with death, with death or imprisonment if they do return. And exile is a cultural and spiritual condition where one feels at odds with the dominant values the prevailing cultural ethos. Put simply, people can feel as if they're in exile without ever being cast out of the land. And I think that's our situation. Sometimes you can feel at odds with the prevailing culture, even though we're actually still living in it, physically, geographically. And I read these passages, as I said, In in, it was part of a day that I'd set aside to pray for the national rural scene. It began to get me thinking about the need to not just put up with it but to try and change it and to to leave where we can be being compromised and to walk into a new day it can be different we're not to accept captivity so for us as individuals it means coming out of the things that are in the prevailing culture that are taffling us up that are snagging that are pulling us back which begins with personal repentance there can't be any other way really so that's what we talked about a lot last week we saw that Jesus in his death and his resurrection, went into exile and came back. Was exiled from life, returned to life, and by doing so made it possible for all of us to do the same. So we need, each of us, to say to God several things, really, and I encourage us to think about this during the season of Lent. First, purify my heart. It's always a good thing to pray. Secondly, ask of God, what of this culture is clinging to me that you want me to be free of, individually? And thirdly, what am I carrying that I don't need for my life ahead? Now, the full notes from today, and probably last week, I'm going to make available through a link through the MailChimp. So, Because I'll explain why a bit later on. But I want you all to be able to see all of that. But those three questions are ones I think I'm going to use during that and encourage you to do the same. Okay, can I have the uh, start of that, Nigel, please? Yeah, this is a picture from an old manuscript of people leaving the the doomed Jerusalem. So that's where we're going to start. Um, When the folks left Babylon, um, they left together in groups. This has a corporate aspect to it. It wasn't just about individuals fleeing for their lives. It was a much more planned thing. They didn't leave alone. They went together across the wilderness, back home to Jerusalem and to the land of Israel. But when they went back, they didn't return to something as it had always been. They were completely unable to rebuild the temple the way the temple had once been. They couldn't replace everything that they'd left. They they hadn't been able to go back to some sort of golden age when David or Solomon was king. They couldn't go back to the way things were. They had to go back to a very different thing and rebuild differently. And it's the same for us. We we have temptations sometimes to go back to an imaginary age when everything was all right for the church. We will never go back to that place. We have to go onwards. We have to go to a new future, which prophetically God will put in place for us, which we need to imagine with him. And when they went back, the exile itself meant they didn't have a temple, they didn't have an ark, they didn't have the rituals or the sacrifices or the leaders or the priests. They had none of those things to prop up their religion anymore, yet they still had to be faithful to God in a foreign land. And when they came home, they tried to rebuild much of what they'd lost, but it didn't always work out. Now, since we began as Threshold nearly 25 years ago, we are in our 25th year, I think we have managed to move away from some of the surrounding cultural compromises. And we have gained a degree of freedom from what I'd call cultural captivity. But I'm not sure we're as free yet as we need to be. We do have, as this church, an amazing freedom to innovate, an amazing freedom to travel where God wants us to. We can change with seasons and context. We've got permission, each of us, to pursue vision i we've got a great bunch of people to journey with. And I'm, just in the last couple of weeks, I've had three really significant people saying to me, don't, don't ever underestimate the, the wonderful nature of the freedom you have in threshold. I've had people saying to me, I wish I had a threshold that I was part of. I wish, you know, don't, don't diminish the importance of it in terms of a way of being church in the countryside. And I'm not saying that with pride. I'm just saying that we need to make the most of what God has given us, really. It's really important. And sometimes it's right to build a cairn, at like a, a pile of stones in the wilderness. You know, when you wanted to just lead somebody across the wilderness, you build a cairn, and when you get to that one, you see the next one and the next one. It's a way of guiding people across the desert. And one of the things that's come to us prophetically recently from other churches is, please, Threshold, can you build a cairn? Can you build a way marker? Can you show, can you leave behind things that others can follow to take the way that you've taken maybe not exactly but at least in some ways so because i mean the guy was praying over us at the time this was from other humber to the wash churches and he said lord you know um please threshold don't get deliberately lost and have all these adventures and then don't and then not leave a way for others to follow if they want to make sure people can follow the way that you go and some of what i've got to say today i think is my way of describing a cairn of where we are at and how we got to where we got to now, I'd like you all to help shape that, so that's why I want to put this online. I'm going to invite comments via Jane, just to shape it some more. But basically, I think we need to say, this is how we got to here, and this is where we're going in the future. These are the important things that have led us away from a prevailing culture and into the kind of freedom the church needs for the future. Now, there will always be a need to engage with the cultures that we're in. Whatever culture Christians are in, there's usually things they need to challenge, and there's usually things they can affirm, and that will always be the case. The problem is that left to our own devices, we can go to sleep and be captured by the culture again and not have the freedom to move. And so one of the reasons for change, one of the reasons for looking at where we are periodically, is to not get stuck, not to get compromised in the way that we've just slept into, that we've not realised it's happened. So part of what I'm doing today is a bit of a wake-up thing. There's a guy called Leslie Newbigin who I'll read to the beginning of the quote he said this I don't actually know when he wrote it it was sometime between 1960 and 1990 but it was published in 1994 he's a great missiologist missionary in South India great thinker He's shaped a lot of what the church thinks now about mission and he said this before we get to the bit on the wall it says if one is looking at the total situation of Christianity in the contemporary world addressing European culture is the most urgent question And for two reasons, firstly because it is modern post-enlightenment Western culture that in the guise of modernisation is replacing more traditional cultures all over the world. And second, because this culture has a unique power to erode and neutralise the Christian faith. Now whenever he wrote that, he was right. And I think he's still right. Christianity has the hardest time in Western Europe than anywhere else in the world, including Muslim countries including very poor countries in different parts of Africa, including China, where now 10% of the population are Christians. The Chinese authorities are really worried, not just because of the coronavirus, but because there are more Christians than Communist Party members now in China. So in places where there's repression, like Iran or North Korea, there are vibrant Christian communities. There's lots of vibrant Christian communities in the Middle East where Islam is the dominant thing. In Western Europe, that is not the case. In Wales, less than 1% of people are in any kind of church now. That's in the UK, last time I looked. Even if they're not very really good at rugby at the minute. you know. So. I know, I just said it for my wife's benefit. So, why is this the case? Why is this culture so, so erosive? Why is this culture so um, poisonous, toxic towards Christian faith? Now, I'm going to, what I'm going to look at now are questions, not judgment, okay? So I don't want you to go through these things and think, this is what Pete's thinking about some churches. It's not. This is what I want us to avoid. So can can have that first list of um, cultural things. So these are things which I see in the culture, and I'm not a culture vulture. There may be things that I don't see, and again, it would be useful for us all to, to add to these, but ten things I see in the current culture which can compromise Christianity and erode the life of churches... Firstly, there's just plain disbelief. A growing secularism which has increasingly got anti-Christian tones. The atheists in the media particularly are more and more strident about Christianity now and very keen to portray Christians as bad news in whatever program they can get their hands on. And it's, it's, it's terrible. It's really undermining. It's not helped by the way some Christians behave. It's really not helped by the sex scandals, the abuse scandals in some of the churches. Really awful. Really awful. But what's behind this is basically a glorification of man and his thinking and his scientific discoveries. This started with the Enlightenment. That's where the liberal end of the church has come from. It started with the Enlightenment. They thought that man's rationalism is more important than God's revelation. And that's where this has become. That's where it's come from. It's they, you know, In William Farr's school, someone very powerful in that school, three years ago, wrote in the school magazine that the physical resurrection could not possibly have happened. And she was a chaplain. Okay, So we're not talking about theory here, we're talking about disbelief, secularization, pulling away from the truth and revelation of the Gospels that's impacting the church, not just secular society. Secondly, structures. Is church about rules, hierarchical authority structures, or is it about life-giving relationships? Are we trapped into focusing on how to keep an outdated and flawed system going rather than pursuing life? I don't ever want Threshold to be in that place. Some of you get fed up with the amount of change we bring about in Threshold. This is a good reason for bringing about change. Sorry, Ed. (laughs) (laughs) What we don't ever want to do is get fossilised into structures that become more important than the reasons that they're there. We don't want to... It's a bit like a... You know, it's a bit like us spending life focusing on our bones and being really uptight and neurotic about our bones and not actually doing the exercise we need to do to keep our bones healthy. You look at the structures rather than the function. It's not right. What about overregulation? Talk to Gareth later about his adventures trying to become in a place where he can teach in this country. He is absolutely been sick of the regulations at the minute. He went for two days the other day for safeguarding and other kinds of training. He could not believe the amount of regulation that he has to get through to be able to just teach in the U.K. And it's driven by fear, a lot of this overregulation, is driven by a need to shift responsibility and blame to somebody else and not yourself be accountable. And it's driving away common sense, and it's driving away freedom of initiative. It's driving away stuff we need in the life of the church. It's micromanagement, control of behavior, relationships, investment. We don't want that in the church either. Now, don't get me wrong. We need structures. There are things that we need. To, I know we need structures. We've got a skeleton, each of us, right? And I know there are things in the life of the church that should be there. Things like safeguarding and insurance and legal and financial responsibility. But in threshold, and I hope it always will be this way, that's held by a wonderful group of people called the trustees who make sure it happens quietly in the background, serving the chief purpose of the church, which is to see the kingdom of God come. It doesn't become a thing in itself. The financial control of the church, etc., is not the thing that's most visible. What's most visible is the mission of the church, and it should always be that. I'm coming on some money in a minute. Second, fourthly, ethical compromising and shifting morals. I heard Gavin Calver, who's now head of the EA, speak on this recently. He says there's a real danger of universalism coming back into the life of the church, that there's no need for a saviour. And it's muddling up sexual ethics. It's compromising things like the sanctity of life. It's really important that we don't go with the moral shift that's happening in society then the money-shaped agenda, are finances and deadlines driving and shaping mission? Or is mission being shaped by us who are going for it and then God bringing the money that we need to support it? Which way round is it, okay? Are we really trying to serve both God and mammon if money's too, too much in the forefront? Do we act in generosity and sacrifice or in fear and financial insecurity? And again, the wonderful trustees have recently gone out on one to make sure that we can have the... Staff that we need at the moment, particularly amongst working amongst young people, some of which you saw this morning. Next slide. Thanks, Nigel. Idolatry. Is celebrity culture invading the church? Question. Are we about production or are we about authenticity? We need to ask ourselves these questions. Again, I'm not knocking other churches. I'm talking about us. The things we need to watch, and I think, I think by the grace of God we err on the side of authenticity, it's brilliant, but we always need to be careful. What about the instant culture from eBay, Amazon Prime, things that, you know, short-term gratification and vision, I want it now. Are short-term targets and fixes replacing perseverance and faith? Because perseverance and faith will produce fruit that lasts, rather than quick things which may dissipate overnight. What about this relativism stuff? You know, truth is what's true for you. Pick and mix. Choose your own spirituality. The hedonistic thing is find a theology for what feels right for you and then say it's okay in church. What about leadership models? Are we at risk of taking on populism? Are we at risk of power or do we err towards humility? Is it service or is it domination? Is it enabling others or acquiring others? really important is authority invested in the man of power for the hour or is it invested in a community of leaders of people who are part of the people and then what about the complexity and busyness of life of life i think that is so destructive at the minute on christian capacity because there's so the degree of things we're all caught up in is incredible trying to break free of that's really really difficult okay are we At risk of part-time Christianity, do we have space to be still in the presence of God? Are we going to compartmentalise our lives so that, you know, Christianity is a kind of attack on an add on at the end when we've tried to get through the business of everything else we have to do just to survive in this world? And the church culture, in rural areas particularly, is this. If you say church to someone in rural Britain, they will think of a building, they'll think of a vicar, and they'll think of services. And we stand against all of that. It's not about buildings. It's about a community. It's not about services. It's about worship being the whole of life. It's not about a vicar. It's about all of us in ministry, and pursuing what God wants. But it's a really strong drag back in rural England. It really is to those things. That's what people think. Sometimes we can as well, if we don't break out of it. Okay. So how do we leave this stuff? Let's get on to the positive now. How do we leave this stuff? How do we? How do we make this? change that we need to do how do we continue to break away from babylon and form a church that really helps us resist this and become who god's asked us to be firstly i think we need the apostolic and the prophetic we need people who are gifted to build church and we need people who can imagine in god prophetically what the church in each place needs to become anyway having said that there's six things you'll be surprised to hear that i think we need to focus on I can't do these justice, and I might read some of them because it will save me getting lost in the words. The first is the presence of God. It's such a key thing for us, isn't it? I mean, where would we want to be if we were not in the presence of God? What would we do if we didn't have him with us and we knew he was with us? We, see, we're called away from Babylon. We're called away to an imminent, not imminent, not as in about to happen, but imminent as in constantly present, but an imminent, immediate relationship with God, where his presence is valued above everything else, where he's heard and where we respond to him. This needs each and all to know him, each one of us, to hear him, to obey him, to be filled with his spirit, to follow him. And this needs a a prophetic, life-giving life of worship. It needs a prayer rhythm that's not legalistic, a living in his word, It means developing a creative panoply, a kind of an umbrella of worship and prayer that we're all in and under. It means a discipline of waiting on God, of hearing and following His Spirit, letting Him lead. It means a devotion to the Apostles' teaching, the breaking of bread, the fellowship, and the prayer, where we continue to encounter the risen Jesus in all of these ways of doing life together. And if we haven't got that, we've got nothing. If we haven't got Jesus amongst us, it's not church. If we haven't got Him, if we're not acutely aware of His presence and seek it all the time, then what's the point of being together? That's the first thing. Probably the most important. Secondly, the Bible. Recalled away from the effects of the Enlightenment and the secularising pressure of this age back to believing in the living word of God, the Bible. When I, when I had my crises as before Threshold was born, one of the things I was absolutely determined to do with Paul and others was that the foundation of this church would always be on the scriptures and that we would be, that would guide our practice. We're called away from a culture that tries to explain away the miraculous. We're called away from compromises in in the ethics that God has given us, whether it's to do with relationships or sex or the sanctity of life. We're called away from something which denies the existence of the creator, denies the death and resurrection of Jesus, denies the need for a saviour in a world where sin isn't even mentioned. We're called away from those things to the reality of what the Bible has revealed to us. We're called away to belief in his word, to let our lives and church be founded on the truth of scripture, to challenge the aspects of this culture that are shaped by idolatry, by hedonism, by relativism, and by secularism. There are four of the main things we're facing. I'll go through those again. Idolatry, where it's everything before God. Hedonism, where it's all done for pleasure, for what it feels good. Relativism, where there is no truth, where truth is what's truth for you, and there are no absolutes that have been revealed to us. And secularism, where there's no God anyway. They're the things we're fighting. And being founded on the scriptures helps us fight those things. So the presence of God and the scriptures are really important. Thirdly, you'll not be surprised to hear me say community. (laughs) We're called away from Babylon to a way of being together that's about life, not ritual. It's about community, not just attending events. So events can be important. It's about heart, home and hospitality as the way we do life together, not going to church. It's about belonging to each other in God. A place to be with others and do life with them, centered around Jesus. It's not primarily about ritual, or hierarchy, or structures, or regulations, or policies. Those things in proper measure are there to serve the purpose of being together, but they're not the purpose, which is the coming of God's kingdom. We're to be shaped, I think, at least in this season, more by the monastic than the congregational. In other words, you do life together rather than turn up just for events. I think both are important, but the way the church is at the minute in the West, I think we need to veer again towards the monastic, a way of being life with a prayerful, regular heartbeat of prayer at the heart of it, worship at the heart of it, creative arts at the heart of it, healing at the heart of it, singing at the heart of it, you know, just mission at the heart of it, doing life together at the heart of it. All that stuff is what it's calling us to. That's not that there weren't difficulties with monasticism in the past, but we've got to do our good version of it now. And our life together will be both domestic and public. So we will be meeting in homes and households, and that's just as important as meeting in the village halls. I'm not saying it's one or the other, it's both. Like the early Acts of the Apostles, it's domestic and public, it's both. And it includes all ages. And what we're called to do is develop communities of the kingdom where people can look at it and say, that's how I want to live. That's where I can ditch these horrible values that I've been subjected to. That's where I can be free to be the Christian I'm called to be, or that I want to be, where they see it lived out. The fourth is about journey and movement. We're not called to a static existence. That's what's killing the church. It's got fossilized in however many centuries ago. Many people say that it was Constantine was the problem in the fourth century when he made Christianity the uh, official religion of the the empire, the Roman empire. That's when building started. And Christianity became more static, focused on local, and lost its uh, propensity to move and to change we don't want a static existence which centers on buildings and fixes us geographically. There does need to be a commitment to particular localities. And as I look around the room, I'm delighted to see you know, just how much there is of this here. To follow the call of God but there, and a willingness to be sent to go to be apostolic to new places, creating flow and dispersion is really important. Following the spirit as he leads across a region and beyond, allowing him as if we could stop him to bring up springs of life talk a bit more about that in a moment something france has been talking to me about this week and life in the way he knows each context leads think about our foundational scriptures think about psalm 84 it's as they traveled across the valley of bacca which was a dry place that god brought the springs up it turned green think about ezekiel 47 the river of life from under the throne of god It's a picture of movement of flow i remember i said it last week when i first was pondering all this and Walking around Nettleham and seeing the beck there, and I saw it spread into lots, of, lots and lots of rivulets downstream rather than coming from that upstream. And I look around the room today, and I, I may be missing someone out here, but I see what's happening in Nettleham, where we began, and I see the sanctuary at the hub, I see the ants getting together and plotting things with others of you, which is wonderful. In God, of course. I look at Scotland and Sudbrook, and the wonderful stuff that's, that's happening in the well, the f- flat land walking and community choirs and bible study and healing and time to soak in god it's just fantastic what's happening i look at welton and dunham and what's happening in the friday night dinners and the alpha course that's recently been and the engagement in all sorts of ways in this community i look at ingham which is where joy is this morning because there's a cafe church there now and messy church which we're involved in which is just brilliant i look at hemmingby and the stuff paul and i have done for years and the stuff they're moving into now which much more sort of intentional building of community around jesus i think that's what you're doing Sorry if I got it wrong, but it's a fancy- and prayer that's it. They're connected. Yeah, I think of BWT, which is I know beyond Saint by language, but again is making a difference in that place I think of Witham St Hughes where a congregation has now begun on once a month on a Sunday, <laughs> ten years after Simon and first committed to themselves in prayer in that place. I look at what's happening in Bardney with Nocton, Sue's got <laughs> prayer and planning for not yeah I mean do talk to Sue about her new role there it's fantastic and in Woodall Spy you got James and Coral thinking what do we do here <laughs> God's called us here what do we do you know so it's all different stages or so unfolding with for Chrissy and Adrian Thinking God's moved us here, why? What are we doing here? You know, or in Lincoln with Kirsty and co. Or, and if I've forgotten you, I'm really sorry, but tell me afterwards or wave at me now. But basically, if you what I see is that all of us have got kind of missionary intent, if there's a flow going on, missionary intent for the places where we live, the people we live amongst, the people we work with, there's a sense of Lord, how does your kingdom come in this place? That's what I mean by journey and movement. It's not fixed in one place, it's going out, it's dispersed, and that's how it should be, and it's wonderful. So if any of you got designs on any other community, do, do tell me and we'll plot with you. We're called to be centrifugal, not centripetal. We're, we're, we're called to fling outwards, not just suck people in. It's not about lots of programs in one place. It's about investment and incarnational stuff in lots of places. We're called away from the Babylon to see the kingdom of God extend across a region, not just be in one village. Mission. We're called to share in the mission of God as a primary way of living. That's how we should be doing life together. That's what we should be thinking about as we're in God's presence. And incarnation, being alongside people, is key to it. We've learned to encourage each other, haven't we, to hear God and do what he says. I love the kind of culture here where people often come and speak at the front, where there's things that God's been saying to them. I love the culture of us He's expecting him to speak to us in the communities where we are. Never lose that. That's the prophetic stuff, which is so important for for navigating the way ahead. We've learned to encourage each other to do that and support each other's vision. This isn't all about Pete's vision. This isn't all about the leadership's vision. It's all about what is God revealing to each of you in those places and those... Communities I've just gone through, it's about what God's been speaking to you about, not me about, not us about, not the leadership. We're there to support you in it, to help you do it well. It's really important that it's each, each of us involved in this. And the thing about mission, it's not primarily about growing the church. It's primarily about people growing in the knowledge of the love of God, and then God will do with his church whatever he likes. So we're not in it to see the church grow. We're not in it to talk about numbers and bums on seats. We're not in it for evangelistic targets we're in it, that people get to know God. And whatever then happens as a result is fine by us, as long as we can you know, cooperate with, with, God's, with what God's doing. And we know that it's in doing mission that we ourselves will grow as disciples of Jesus, one of the chief ways in which that will happen. Can I quote to you from St. George? It's not on the screen, unfortunately. I couldn't resist this one, because it does need saying. But I may have to explain it. We shall have to learn how better to mix incarnational commitment and cultural identity... What that means is, we're not just to hide away from the culture. We're not to live in inoculated. St. Sorry, St. George's, George Lings, who's a good friend who came to Threshold some years ago and helped us understand who we are. He's recently retired as the head of the research unit of the Church Army. I call him St. George. Anyway, he's a great guy and uh, what he's saying is we've got to learn how to both be in the culture and try and change it but not be of the culture so there's a different kingdom culture people can be part of and that's a very difficult thing to do but we're going to have to keep trying to do that okay and the next thing is about the kingdom of God it's really important that we keep focusing on the kingdom of God and look to see all the dimensions of the kingdom in any one place so salvation, healing, deliverance, yes but also social action, creativity, engaging with education, business, sport, politics, and other cultural drivers. It also means caring for the sick, caring for the poor, caring for the destitute, caring for the addicted, caring for the broken, caring for the the oppressed. All those things is about the coming of the kingdom. And in any one community, it will look different as God brings things up. What's behind me? Oh, right, okay. (laughs) That's the coming of the kingdom of God, too. And why I put that photo on particularly was because it's ecumenical, the vicar was there, the Methodist minister was there, it's completely lay-led and it's a mixed economy, so you've got old and new side by side in in any one community. And it's classical threshold in that. We baptized her on the Sunday afternoon and she was became the manager of the coffee shop the next morning. So <laughs> she was duly cleaned before she started. No, no, that's terrible. No, she was lovely already. <laughs> okay the kingdom if it comes well includes all christians and churches this is not about threshold or threshold flags in each community wherever we are it's about all the christians there and all the churches there and how do we with them see the kingdom come further the kingdom includes both traditional and fresh the kingdom includes all god's people for us there's no clergy lay divide we're all ministers in god called to different roles, with different gifts, but there's no divide there. And sometimes because of that, it actually puts us in a very helpful position for others who sometimes wish they could ditch that divide as well. I'm not knocking clergy they have a role, I won't go into all that now, but we can be helpful because we're the way we are. Now I want to come into land now with a bit of a story. So they're the six things I felt were really important that keep us the way we are and which will help us navigate the future. The next chapter from Isaiah 48 is Isaiah 49. And verse 8 says this. This is what the Lord says. In the time of my favor, I will answer you. And in the day of salvation, I will help you. I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people, to restore the land and to reassign its desolate inheritances, to say to the captives, come out, and to those in darkness, be free. It's the continuation in the latter part of Isaiah of the the prophetic foresight that there will come a time when they will return from exile. And he's saying this is what's going to happen. I love this. To restore the land and reassign its desolate inheritances. Think of rural Britain. Isn't that exactly what needs to happen? To restore the land and reassign its desolate inheritances. Before that, it says, in the time of my favor, I will answer you. And a day of salvation, I will help you. And nearly 22 years ago, which on April the 19th, which of course is Simon Baker's birthday, and he's much older than I am. So, I basically was in on Anglesey at the time, and uh, we were on holiday there. Sarah and Carl, I think, were engaged. At, I think it was that stage, wasn't it? And we had Kate with us, and so it was the usual sort of big family outing. So we were there for a few days, and about. Just before midnight, I just felt really kind of stirred up by God, and I didn't know what to do with it, so I thought I'll go down to the beach. So I went down to the beach, and I was there a couple of hours, and I just watched these lights, and I saw a shooting star, believe it or not, it was great. A very low star in the sky, which Marvin informed me was serious, but anyway, probably still is. Never. (laughs) Never. And as I sat there, I kind of reviewed much of life, really. Stuart had recently prophesied over Kath and I that we would see village after village after village change. And I was thinking all that through, you know, Threshold had been going a few years by then, and uh, I didn't know how to pursue this or what what should happen next. But I came to the conclusion that somehow I ought to give at least some of my effort, lifetime, to seeing things change in the villages in Lincolnshire. And I felt that, like, light had come across from the west or the southwest, We'd gone to watch the sunset, and one of the things I'd been really fond of all through my life from a child was watching the sunset into an ocean and seeing the light come as a path to my feet. It was always like a call sign of God to me. And I'd seen it there on Anglesey, and I felt like God was saying, Yeah, this is what your call is, Pete. You need to put time aside for this. You need to move. You need to do something. But I was timid, you know, I was full time GP at the time. I didn't really know what, what that meant. I, I knew I needed to do something, I didn't know what it was. But then I just felt that if it was right, if this was what God's call to me was, and I thought it probably was, then God would confirm it somehow. And what I felt he would do is confirm it by an image or something of his word coming to me from the west or the southwest, whatever way I was facing at the time. And I came home, and I found this uh, postcard on the doorstep. Now, Maria, I wonder if you can help. (laughs) Please, to tell us what it means. <laughs> Here now, the time is acceptable. Here now, the day of salvation. Absolutely. Can you reach out for us, please? Yes, of course. He aquí ahora, tiempo aceptable. He aquí ahora, el día de Thank you. Which is classical of Simon's communications. We didn't understand a word. No, I, I, understand. No, I did understand. Sorry, Tom. I understood the... Um, the scripture reference at the bottom. Now is the time of God's favour. Now is the day of salvation. And so as I arrived home and picked that up on the doorstep, I thought, all right, you've stitched me up properly, Lord. I do have to do this now. And it took a... Sorry? Sorry, it's a postcard from Simon in Peru, yeah. Thinking, he'd been thinking he said he'd been, had us on his mind for a few days. Hope we're okay. Lots of love, Simon. And that was 22 years ago now, I think. And uh, it was the word of the Lord to me. It was, yeah, I've got to do something. This is my call. This is what God wants of me. But not just of me. This is what Threshold we're into. This is for all of us. This is something that God was saying. It's about the villages of Lincolnshire. And, yes, you do have to commit yourself to them. Now, it does take a lot of time sometimes for me for things to sink in. And it wasn't until I was reading all about this in the last few days that I realized where this came from. And that it's Paul there, St. Paul, is quoting from Isaiah 49. So just after, he says, in the time of my favour, I will answer you. And in the day of salvation, I will help you. He says, I will keep you, make you to be a covenant for the people, to restore the land and to reassign its desolate inheritances. To say to the captives, come out, and to those in darkness, be free. I never twigged that before. Yesterday or the day before. The two are linked. And I think that is our call. And I, and I don't say it in any kind of arrogant way. I just think that's what we're here for. And I look as I've named some of you around the room earlier on, it's wonderful, we've gone from one village to ten or more now, where people are intentionally trying to reach those villages. And I'm not neglecting the city, I think it's equally as important. But I think our call is this, and in a sense, there's a Kairos time now, I hadn't realised that till yesterday either. When it says, now is the time of God's favour, the word used is Kairos. Which is not the chronological time, it's now is the moment. Now is the opportune time. Now is when you need to move. Now is when you need to make the change. And I think we all need to hear that today. So, honestly, coming into land now, we've already loosened our ties to Babylon, and we're moving away. We have done over the last 25 years. But we need now to boldly take the next steps out into this desert, on our way to a new future and a new allocation, a reassignment of desolate inheritances. So I think we need now a season of waiting on God, of repentance, yes, as we talked about last week, but of waiting on God, listening for his voice. And there'll come a time when there's a signal from God to move. It may not be the same time for each of us, but there will come a time as you begin to see what he's doing that he wants us to get involved in. We need to move at the minute, I think, threshold, to have more in the space between two rooms. You know a threshold is where you've left the last room, but you've not yet gone into the next one. That's what a threshold is. And that's where we are, I think, right now. We, we, we need to move on, but not without hearing God and seeing where he's taking us, which means we wait on him for a season. And then we move out in the desert together and hopefully, please God, there'll be streams in the desert in lots of other villages and lots of other places, not just the ones we're in at the minute. And we'll work alongside our brothers and sisters in Christ that are there, the churches are already there, but we'll bring the new in, we'll bring something different, which they want to be part of, not to join us, but to work together. Remember St. George said this as well, the future will arise from the ruins of the past and the arrival of outside resources. So when he saw the return from exile in the scriptures, that's what he saw, the ruins of the past and the arrival of outside resources. So in many villages now where there is no functioning church, there may not even be a church building that's opened anymore, there are just the ruins of the past. They need missionaries. Any people who will make a difference who will go about life in that village in the way which sees the kingdom of God come that will pray until something happens as I see what God's doing and join in I had a correspondence with Francis this week relatively serious one for us I think Francis (laughs) and he said it's a bit like spotting what God is doing in terms of bringing up springs in each of these communities and then going with what he's doing And certainly that's been our experience in Bardi, and I think it's been the experience of many of us here, is we seek him, we wait on him, and then we see something that he's doing. An invitation maybe something will happen that we'll get involved in. He is bringing springs in the desert. The difference is it's his mission, not ours. We just get the privilege of joining in. So unlike many of the ways we've behaved in the past, we need to see where he leads and then join in with it. It's very much the same sense of what Adam's been bringing to us with the rewilding. That often if you take your hands off, God will bring life because you will bring seed in from outside or dormant things will spring up in the ground or things you've taken your hands off will begin to flourish and reproduce. And there is a time when you have to deliberately introduce a keystone species of some kind. And that's fine if we believe that's God and asking us to do it. But a lot of it is about taking our hands off and seeing what God's doing. So we're starting next Sunday on Waiting on God, which Adam's going to kick off. Really important, I think, this particular Lent. I think it's a hinge point. For some of us, it will mostly feel like just a normal transition of where we're going on. But I think we need to move from where we have been until we find where we are going. I'm not saying any big structural change. I think we need to keep meeting together on Sundays. We need to keep doing what we're doing in our villages. But there's an attitude somewhere. And this stuff, I think, is like a cairn, it's like a way marker. It's saying this is where we are at at the moment, threshold. And as I say, I want to put this. Talk with Jane and get this online. And please do send back to me via Jane any comments you have about this. But I think together we need to say this is where we're at. You know, you've missed a bit, Pete, or what about this bit? That's fine. Let's, let's just say let's, let's, this is where we are as threshold now so that others can follow if they wish to. But then we move, move on out into a new future in the way we're already headed and with these six things, which I think are really, really important for us at the minute. Okay? Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you for the way you've led us over 25 years. Thank you for the life giving experience this has been for many of us. We pray that you take us on from here in any way that you wish to. And as we seek you, as we wait on you, as we repent, as we ask for your cleansing, your forgiveness to be free of baggage we don't need for this journey, then Lord, fix us in the ways that only you can, so that we can truly honor and respect you, so we can be full of your spirit, founded on your word, building community building kingdom, being on mission, will help us to do this in the way that you want us to do. Thank you. Amen.